Hello, welcome to our Lighthouse podcast. We hope that this message brings inspiration and intent to your day. Good to be back with you. Um, less than, I'm not sure about Annette, but for me, less than two hours sleep in 48 hours. So this might be the time where I like to call this pastor's revenge, where I fall asleep in my own message. Just as a bit of payback for, you know, those times you nodded off on me over the years. No, of course, nobody ever did that. I know, I know. And that's nodded off already. But she does that. She'll do that anyway on a good day. Sometimes if she can't sleep herself, I say, well, why don't you just get one of my messages and listen to it? And off she goes. So, sorry, you were supposed to start, weren't you? You go. I try to yell, but won't be pretty. Good morning. How are you going? You're going well? That's good. It's good to be home in Wollongong and Australia, and um, it's just great to be back. One of the things I said to Paul I'd like to do, if I could this morning, is just really uh, explain, if you like, uh, what we do over there. Because I don't know... uh, as you sit here or as people follow us on Instagram, um, you may be like, oh, that looks like they're having, as many people say, have a great holiday. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not on holiday. Um, um, just what we actually do over there, because I think it's worth explaining because you will understand why uh, we put the energy time and why Lighthouse resources it, because uh, unfortunately you don't get to come with us and experience what we do, but if we can relay to you actually what we are doing, that will be great. When we talk about uh, we are training uh, particularly young couples uh, in leadership to plant churches, it really means um, in the context of the countries that we go in, is that a lot of those countries do not have a great church like Lighthouse. You might be surprised at that. In fact, when we went to Austria and everyone goes, oh, I'm going to Austria for ministry, yeah, sure. Um, When we're there, the pastors that we met with are sort of begging for people to help them because they say that there's uh, just a small handful of life-giving churches in that country And so uh, when we talk about that, that's what we're talking about. Usually what happens is that um, a person or a couple, uh, they are living in life the way anyone else would in the secular world and they have great needs or they're just looking spiritually for um, fulfilment and they find God. And then they go to find a good church that relays the passion and the life that they feel and they can't find one so what they say innocently is oh we'll start one in our town so that's a big call for them because they're often newly uh, born again or Christian so they don't have all the trappings that maybe we do they might have a little bit of tradition in their family that might go to a more traditional church so that's the sort of people where um working with and so what they often do is then go into their community 
And because of the message that um, Paul has been preaching, TGIM message, what, what you're probably really used to, is we talk to them about, why don't you go and get to know your community? Why don't you love on them? Why don't you um, make friends in your community? And it's out of that that these people come to Christ. So that's why it's so exciting for us. And Paul will explain that, you know, he was there eight years ago with some of the couples that we met with this time who now have really thriving churches, like as big as Lighthouse. But the, what the beautiful thing, particularly for me, is that um, you might hear on the news that, you know, the war happening over there and, of course, all the governments are sending lots of money for military weapons, but actually the governments aren't giving any relief to the people of Ukraine. So the people who are doing that are actually the churches and uh, so it would be like us. We would all pitch in and we'd have people come and live in our homes. Um, We'd be uh, raising money. Uh, we'd be, uh, we saw people being taught English, um, particularly children, to get them prepared to go to whatever country they were to be educated in. So we saw churches that we have invested, and I say we, actually are at the forefront of helping humanity. And so when we say we go over there and train leaders, it's not about setting up another religious institution. It's about actually uh, planting people that um, bring life to their community. And so for me, that's, that's what Paul and I get excited about, that we'll be able to uh, do this in order that we are actually making a difference in the world. And you guys are making a difference in the world because as you, I know that you raise money, we were able to invest into people that really um, have nothing. They've been, had everything taken from them uh, literally don't have money enough to, f- to feed themselves. And so your finances is supporting churches who are giving food and clothing to these people. So I wanted to just, sometimes we say things and perhaps you don't understand our passion or why we do it, but I thought it'd be really good as an introduction just to explain that this morning. Yeah, good. There's uh, no such thing as uh, transfer growth over in Europe because uh, here, if you don't like us, you get to go to the church down the road or vice versa, maybe. But over there, of course, uh, what you find is that, uh, particularly we, uh, Steve Windham, Stephen Maylin Windham, who you know, been here many times, and that's who we partner with. They're some of our ACCI or our movement missionaries, and they live in the UK and they are responsible for planting churches across Europe. And so we work with them. And they introduced us to a new couple, actually a strange mix, uh, Gianni and Angela, who are in fact, he's Italian and she's from Cornwall, I think, in uh, England. And uh, they met at Bible school and she already had a call. That's their house. Uh, no, it's not. Uh, that's, our, that's actually our holiday house we bought while we're over there in Austria and uh, just got a couple of bedrooms and we... Uh, they met in Bible college. She already felt she had a call to Austria, which, by the way, is the second most unreached European country. It's actually quite a wealthy country in many senses, as you know, but actually, spiritually, completely in poverty, spiritually, a very secular nation, not remotely interested in God. And uh, for them, they've in their uh, 35 years, they got married, and uh, as she told us, she told Gianni, unless you're willing to go to Austria to... 
uh, do missions work, then I'm not prepared to marry you. Good ultimatum. And so he said yes, and they've been there for 35 years. But they planted 15 churches. Now, you have to understand this, that as soon as you plant one church, there's no Christian in that city that's going to join you because there is none, right? So no, you're not going to have your, like we do here, let's have an interest meeting so the disgruntled people from the other church can be interested in us and we join and on and on it goes, right? That's the culture here. You have to, to have one person come to your church, you have to lead that person to Christ. That's your first person. And then the next hundred you get. And so they managed to, in 35 years, they've planted 15 churches now throughout Austria. All of those have around about 100 or so people in them. We uh, spoke in about three or four of them while we were there. And it's good to watch because, you know, every one of those gave their life to Christ somewhere on the journey of uh, this church. And I, I think for us, and they already have a vision to plan another 60 churches throughout uh, Austria as well. So that was a good uh, connection for us as well. Uh, the other thing we saw there, which was surprising, I think, but refreshing, was we saw uh, an exceedingly amount of uh, female leaders, high-level female leaders. In fact, most of the campuses by this Life Church, by Gianni and Angela, were led by female senior pastors, which we thought was great. Uh, and uh, we had a, a particular encounter with one of those uh, female leaders, didn't we, while we are there, and you're going to tell her story a little bit. Yeah, one of the things we get to do, well, I do actually, probably, I don't know if Paul gets his experience, but when we're travelling, we might be walking around with a person or driving with them and they tell us their story and that's great. I love that. That's, that's the thing I really love and um, some of the stories I heard were just absolutely amazing. But this lady uh, picked us up actually. She was just basically taking us from one place to the airport and uh, I think it was about an hour and a half drive, and she began to tell her testimony. And um, what was amazing about her testimony was the result of where she was actually driving to after uh, she dropped us off. So before she had any faith, um, uh, uh, she was living her life and uh, she had a pregnancy that she decided that she would have an abortion. And um, it was interesting, the years after that, she was really uh, had this sense of shame and guilt and just uh, real sadness in her life about what she had done. And it wasn't about someone told her she was wrong or a Christian said that's not right. It was just something in her that said, there's something not right about what I did. And so she comes... Uh, she actually came to the Lord and really started to get healed in that area and really set free and all that guilt and shame all left. But what happened in her was she had, had this thought. She said, how many more women are like that, that are car carrying around this pain and struggle over this issue? And she began to get really passionate about helping other women. So... Um, as you do, she just started at a small level, just talking about it, writing about it, um, and began to work socially to help women that perhaps, not in a way, uh, one thing I really picked up, she was not in any way um, judging women, she was had a love for them that they would be set free in this area. And so uh, her driving us to where, dropping us off, she was about to go 
to Belgium, um, to the parliament, actually. And she has become a very strong advocate in uh, Austria to change some of the laws around abortion and how to um, raise up help for women that were in her situation. So she's literally gone from this uh, changed, being passionate, and now was at the forefront of changing laws in Austria. So that was one of the amazing um, stories that we heard. So uh, we then went to Poland, of course, and Poland's where we normally do most of our uh, uh, training. Some of you know, I've said before, we actually have partnered together and we've planted 35 churches in Poland. And I want to keep remind you of that because it seems so far away, but 35 churches is not insignificant. And uh, as we were there this time, of course, uh, our strategy changed. We were there for Ukrainian refugees. That was the main reason we're in Poland for over a week. Some of you may have heard, how good's I-98, eh? Put me on radio. Uh, some of you were probably rudely disturbed while you were driving to work by my voice being interviewed by Marty Haynes and the team uh, there. And we talked about that. And I think in some ways, as we said on radio, we're trying to prepare ourselves in some ways to meet Ukrainian refugees. But really, it was still quite shocking for us to see mostly what were of course, women, now older women and younger women, but of course most of those women with small children who had to leave their uh, husbands behind because the husbands were having to fight in the war and they literally get put on a train or some of them walked, physically walked, three or four days to get themselves across the border. Most of the ones we met had just arrived, only been there, one lady had only been there for five hours. They're quite traumatised, as you can imagine, and uh, very much not knowing what to do. And when we uh, went to the Warsaw train station, I remember uh, noticing that as they got off the train, of course, some of them were being distributed through Poland, but some of them actually were being brought um, up into another level of the train station where they were then assigned a country they were going to be sent to. So they've just been moved from there. They've just been uh, taken from Ukraine, brought into Poland and then they stand at a desk and you get told we go to, we're going to send you to the United States, we're going to send you. And the problem with that is with no idea that they were ever going to come back, no idea that they would ever see their uh, husbands or fathers was quite traumatic for them. And we, uh, we have got a video here. So one of the churches that we've been working with, they're called, uh, it's called the Dom Church, which just means house church. And uh, the Dom Church, which we helped train them about eight years ago, one of the things I was really impressed with was how quickly they all got involved in the refugee crisis, how quickly they, uh, they didn't take a long time to think. Now, they're thinking through now, and I don't mean that because they weren't strategic. I mean, they straight away knew the church is here to do something about this. I think that was good. And I think uh, the churches that we've been able to influence, we've influenced them as uh, churches that are looking out, not looking in. So before they had a plan, they immediately opened up not only their church buildings, but they opened up their homes as well. We'll talk a bit about that in a moment because there is more need there. But we wanted to communicate to you because one of the things that Annette and I did was we took physically took cash with us, about $4,000. We'd already given $6,000 and we handed out cash to the leaders of uh, these different churches that were doing uh, different things. I know we've raised another $7,000. In fact, it was good on I-98 and ABC Radio, I kept reiterating how generous Lighthouse has been in the uh, not only sending of us, but the ability to actually practically give financial support 
and then they were asking, well, where can people in the Illawarra give? And so I hope that uh, happened a bit while we are away. I'll check this week. But I want to show you a video because this is Marion. She's a Ukrainian herself. Uh, she escaped and uh, she is spending her weeks now taking a van across the border and uh, she is providing food and aid to different people. So she's going back over the border all the time, putting her own life at risk. But what's interesting, first of all, you'll hear a little bit of a story, but secondly, and it's important to say, and I feel I need to say this because I think the truth needs to be known, which is the Russians are not just targeting military sites. They showed me videos on their phones that the Russians are literally bombing houses and shooting down neighbourhoods at will uh, for no reason other than just to kill and destroy things. And so she had to experience that. Most of them told harrowing stories of having to run with their children under tank fire and machine gun fire, all that sort of thing. So it's, it's quite a difficult scenario, but uh, it's a weird thing. We felt both uh, shocked by it, but blessed that we were there, able to represent you and to at least bring some love and support. I can tell you that just by being there, uh, the Ukrainian refugees kept saying to us, we are so thankful, we're so thankful, we're so thankful that you came and you're standing with us in this. So have a look at this video. First of all, thank you for everyone who uh, opens one's heart to, uh, for my nation. Mm -hmm. uh, just потому что мне кажется, что без помощи людей народ Украины уже сломался. Without other people's help, Ukrainian people would be broken by now. неделю, когда я была в Украине, я постоянно говорила: за вас молятся, вам высылают помощь, тем самым подбадривала их неду, что они не сами. When I was in Ukraine uh, during the last week, I uh, kept saying that uh, people are praying for you. People are sending help, uh, donations to your country. So you are not alone. People just take the pictures of their uh, closest ones, of parents, of uh, friends, children. Мосты восстановятся, а люди это самое важное, наши друзья, знакомые, родные. Because bridges will be rebuilt and homes will be rebuilt, but uh, people mostly they uh, the, the dearest thing to is the people. Я не политичный человек, не сильна в политике, но но судьбы людей, то что люди проходят, как надламывается, вот это самое большее может мне I'm far from politics, but I see that people are so broken and it motivates me most of all to do uh, as much as I can. And so we, uh, from the very beginning, we divided our responsibilities. Uh, Sasha was trying to um, organize donations and to send uh, things out, uh, products uh, to Ukraine, and I started helping with the refugees uh, here. There you go. Who likes my incredible filming quality, by the way? Yeah. I don't ever try and send a cameraman with me. I got it covered. Yeah, I just realised too, while we're in the middle of that, the 
typical church, the church band were having rehearsals, but they weren't going to, they, they're like, we're not stopping for anybody. They're just going for it, cranking it up. But that's, I think that's what that was behind the scenes. Uh, we noticed very quickly how tired they all were, uh, the, the, not just the refugees, but of course those that were helping. And many of them themselves have had to deal with uh, their own friends or colleagues who have, because uh, don't forget, a lot of the Polish churches had then gone and planted Ukrainian churches as well. And I was speaking to a Polish pastor and he said his close friend who was a Ukrainian pastor, they were hiding in a basement for many days. Uh, and because they were without food for many days, trying to stay away from the Russian fire, uh, the youth pastor, he decided to just, he said, I'll go up and look for food. And while he was up looking for food, they shot the youth pastor dead on the street. And one of the things they're doing is they're uh, particularly getting young men, if young men are walking around, stripping them down, checking them for military tattoos. And if those young men have military tattoos, they get shot on the spot uh, at any of those checkpoints. And so there's trauma going on all over the place. I hope you don't mind me sharing that because I feel the truth of those things need to be heard. We didn't go just to pretend it's all nice. But the other thing we noticed very quickly was all of these pastors that we've been dealing with, they all look exhausted. They looked absolutely exhausted. We could see it in their eyes because they didn't just open up their church. They opened up their homes. And this might sound funny, but they've opened up their homes and they've got strangers living in their homes now for about 10 weeks. And I think it's dawning on them that there's no way out of that. How do we get out of that? We, the government hasn't provided places uh, like they said they would. And so they look very tired. And so it raised another thought. And I think this is where we can help in an ongoing way as well. I think we can help with pastor health. You saw and talked to some pastors about that as well, Nat. Yeah, one of my passions, I guess, is um, to come alongside people who are in the helping industry. And uh, one of the, those people, of course, are pastors and leaders, particularly when they're um, not only are running their own church, but uh, one of the churches we were at, uh, 110 Ukrainians turn up to there. So that's another church on top of their own church saying, uh, we want a service, uh, we want an orthodox service and we want a contemporary service, we want interpretation and then we want to be fed and we want to live in your homes. So you can imagine what that feels like. Not only that, but we were talking um, a lot of pastors, leaders who led through COVID. Remember that little thing? Apparently Putin has got rid of COVID over there, they say. But um, that, that has already taken a toll on pastors and leaders and people in the church that are helping and then on top of that they have a war arrive. So uh, it's something that we're, we particularly, we were able to encourage and sit and listen and help them actually strategically go, how can you have a break every now and then? How can you have a rest so that, you know, they're, if they're gone, who's there to help? So, um, yeah, that's one of the things that um, I particularly wanted to help while I was there and made some great connections and I think we helped by sitting with them and just caring for them. Yeah. Uh, so we also in Czech Republic, we saw um, a church there that I was in, uh, the university next door put 400 refugees in there. I was impressed because I saw a young mum who stood on stage and uh, she just decided with her own kids, she's got one hanging off her and one biting her ankles there and uh, she got up and shared her vision to uh, go in each day and uh, care for and provide for those refugees that just moved next door and I love the spirit of that, how everybody was willing to do whatever it takes 
And then lastly, or just second lastly, in, in Germany, you know, while we're in Germany, we were uh, training leaders. But one thing I saw right across, certainly in Germany, but right across, is the influence of Lighthouse has not been just to plant churches, but the influence of Lighthouse has, to be, has been to plant community-engaging churches. So everywhere I went, people that we'd trained for the last eight to ten years were sidling up next to me, giving me a little nudge, and saying, hey, by the way, Paul, you, you know, uh, you might know, but we've we've invested in mobile showers and laundry services. We have this van that we drive around the city now and we wash the clothes of the homeless or we shower the... Or did you know that we run a food kitchen or do you know we have a drop-in centre? And in fact, three of the German churches are in... Uh, did what I've always said church planning should be, which is don't... don't this is what we think church planning is in Australia. Uh, rent a building, get a worship team and invite uh, those who are a bit disgruntled. Uh, in... Uh, overseas, what they do is, what we teach them to do is, don't even think about hiring a building, don't do anything that looks like church until you spend at least one year getting to know your community. Once you get to know your community, you'll know what kind of church to start and you'll start it based on the needs of your community, not based on the needs of already saved Christians. And so what we do is we see that all over Europe. We see churches that waited, that slowed, that paused and have started churches with people that they've led to the Lord. The last one I'll show you, because that was all pretty heavy, wasn't it? It was getting heavy. There's a good news story. Some of you know Swavik uh, and Christina, who are from uh, or Lesno, a tiny little town of 10,000. He's probably the first uh, guy we met. He's been here to this church, and he's got an Aussie sense of humor, uh, quite sarcastic, uh, which I think he thinks is a spiritual gift. And he, uh, I remember about five years ago, them talking about they wanted to build a church slash community center which is unusual anyway in a small town of 10,000, but they had a vision for it. And this, this time when I went back, uh, they'd already started the building. And I can tell you it's a direct result of uh, this vision, what Lighthouse is doing. They wanted to plant a church just like Lighthouse. And so I took a little video, sorry, nose cam again, and uh, you can have a look. Well, I'm in the Lesno, Poland, and when I was here about five years ago, uh, Swavik and Christina, who uh, run the Canaan Church here, uh, were telling me about their dream to have a brand new building, community centre, and we were talking about plans. I remember sitting with them for one night and I was helping them think through the kind of facility they could build that's not just a church, but also for the community. And the good news is I'm here, probably just five years on, and they've already begun to build here. I just want to show you. So as you can see there, they're going to have a cafe at the front and some community space, uh, of course their auditorium. So it's pretty exciting, uh, Lighthouse, that we have been involved with this and that actually seeing some of the ways that we've taught uh, our churches here to think about community and also the fact that they're just expanding. So congratulations to uh, Swavik and Christina and their team, a great, great job here. And we look forward to coming back here next time and uh, seeing just this thing hopefully complete and them using it uh, to, for all the needs that they like. Okay, see ya. Bye. Well, I'm in. Thanks, Paul. All right. Uh, just about done. What was the Lord saying to me while I was over in Europe? Let me give you a couple of thoughts. Uh, I feel like life is fast and furious. I know that's a movie or two or seven, actually. Maybe it's eight. Uh, I've realised some things about the world at the moment is it goes so fast, 
but there's certain things you can't do that are fast. Uh, one of the things we learned during COVID is you can't disciple people fast, for example. You've heard me say the great myth that COVID taught us is that we have to understand even this is great and this is important because every person needs a spiritual home, but this right here is not discipleship. You can't get discipled in a crowd. You can only get discipled by living life alongside somebody else who's in faith a little bit further along from you. And you watch and listen to how they live out their faith. If you do that, you also can become a disciple and do that for somebody else. But I also realised as I watched uh, literally now uh, uh, dozens and dozens of leaders that we've trained up, I realised something, what didn't look like much 10 years ago looks like a lot 10 years on. And I realised that in order to do things well in life, you have to slow down and realise that small steps are really big steps. And you have to slow down enough to know that you don't need to know everything, nor do you need to know the answers for all things. But in fact, what life is about is understanding that what you sow into, given enough time in the right soil, it becomes way more than what you ever thought it would be. And Lighthouse, you maybe even some of you, we might think, oh, we've only raised about 20 grand. It doesn't seem like much. But actually over the years, we've invested thousands and thousands of dollars into that Europe culture and the overwhelming thought I had while I stood with all these leaders this time was wow this thing grew all those seeds that we planted 10 years ago the very moment the church was needed when a war broke out in Ukraine the very moment the church really comes into its own is the moment you see the seed become a harvest and we see these people that are leading people to Christ we see them uh, helping in uh, community ways we have to recognise, and I want to say that to encourage you. <clears throat> I often say to people when I'm coaching them, what's your dream life? Could you describe to me if you could have the life you want, what it would be? And then I just work back from there with them. I say, well, what steps, what seeds, what things do you need to say, do? What do you need to stop doing in order to have the life you've always wanted? And I think what we can see over time is that God is doing great things and He wants to do great things in you. And I want to ask you, why don't you stand this morning? And I want to ask you, I'm going to pray over you. What are the things, if that is true, that what you invest your life into, what you sow into, produces a result just by mere doing it over and over again over a period of time? What is it that you're going to end up with? And I want to ask you a bigger question because this one's the harder one. What have you got to stop doing? What do you need to say, Lord, I, I, you know, you've been at me for a while telling me I ought to back off on that or adjust that or get better at that. What is it you want me to do so that when it comes as a harvest in my life, it's recognisable and pleasing to you in a way that it makes a difference. So let's just pray. Father, I just thank you today for every single person. Lord, it's a, hard to believe, but Lord, you know us intimately. God, the world does seem like it's in chaos at some level, but Lord, we know that you have got this. And I know this, that Lord, not a single word, not a, not a single dollar or cent that has been sent through this vision at Lighthouse is wasted. And you have done amazing things with the little that we've had. God, you have done amazing things as we've sown. But Lord, I pray for those here today that they, there's a life they, they want. There's a direction they want to go. I pray, Lord, this morning that you would speak to them about the kind of seeds they need to sow to produce the kind of life they're meant to have. I pray, Lord, most of all, that you'd give us the courage, Lord, to no longer sow seeds 
in areas that won't bring the kind of fruit and harvest that you want in our own life. And Lord, I pray this morning, even as we finish this gathering, Lord, that as you have done from this moment, you began to talk to us. I pray that you'll continue to speak to us throughout this week, Lord, and that you would show us how we can intentionally sow seed into things that will produce a great harvest in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please connect with us at a differentlight.com.au or join us at one of our Sunday gatherings.